Hi, Pastor John here, and I just want to thank you for downloading or streaming this service from North Carolina Baptist Church. We pray that our new online platform allows you and encourages you to interact with one another as far as offering prayer and other concerns that you may have through the service. We also want to invite you, if you want to support what God is doing here at North Carolina Baptist Church, to give online at any time on our website or our app. So enjoy the following message. We pray that it stirs your heart, it stirs your mind for the things of God, and ultimately all for His glory. Good morning, everybody. I hope everyone is uh, doing well, uh, feeling well, and uh, finding ways to stay busy and stay active in the times that we're going through right now, maybe finding time to uh, spend some more time with your family right now. Um, but it's also cool that we get to come together like this. Uh, even though we'd like to be in person, it's cool to be able to come together like this. I know I've enjoyed, I know Pastor John's enjoyed seeing everybody be able to interact with each other the last couple weeks with the live chat feature that we've had. So that's been really cool and encouraging. Um, but this week, uh, I'm going to be continuing on in the series that Pastor John started a couple weeks ago, uh, the series of things that Jesus never said. Uh, and if you haven't seen any of the previous two, you might be wondering, well, why would we talk about things that Jesus never said? Um, but it's important because a lot of times, whether it's through social media, I, I see a lot of it that way, um, or maybe you're watching, especially now, watching a bunch of different uh, services from different churches, different pastors, different preachers online. And there's a lot of people out there who, you know, there's a lot of things that are, are really nice things to say to each other, really nice things to hear. Um, and we associate them maybe with the Bible or things that Jesus said, but it's not necessarily anything that Jesus actually said. And so a lot of times uh, it's really good for us to go back in, read through the Bible, understand what exactly Jesus really did say so that we can know whether we're sharing something with somebody or maybe we see somebody else share something or say something to somebody. We can kind of come in and maybe point in the right direction and say, this is what Jesus actually had to say on that matter. So we're continuing through that series again this week. Um, again, if you haven't seen the other two, go back and, and watch those uh, when you can. Uh, they've been really good. And also what's been really cool about the last couple of weeks is we've been able to hear from some of our missionaries. And that's been really encouraging to me, um, really kind of informative, but really kind of cool to see uh, how they're doing, especially right now. And I think the coolest thing about being able to catch up with them in that way is we're able to be reminded of what we actually do as far as supporting missionaries around the world, how even now, even though we're not able to meet in person, we can still give so that we as a church can support those missionaries around the world. So it's been really cool, really encouraging for me uh, to be able to see those videos from a couple of our missionaries. Um, but like I said, we're going to continue through the, the series of things that Jesus never said. And the last couple of weeks, we talked about how Jesus never said that you don't have to forgive them. Uh, we also talked about how Jesus never said that you won't have bad days. Today, what we're going to talk about is how Jesus never said, do what makes you happy. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, before we get into that, and before we go into the word, I want to open with the word of prayer. Uh, and then we'll go ahead and get into the message this morning. Dear God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for just allowing us to be able to come together, uh, even in an unconventional kind of way. 
And I thank you for allowing us to be able to continue to encourage each other and point each other towards you even in difficult times. And I just pray that as we go into your word this morning, that we would just open our, our eyes and our hearts for what you have for us, that we can uh, really truly understand things that you did say versus things that you didn't say, God, and that we can then take that and apply it to our everyday lives, live it out, and also share it with others. So I just pray that you be with us this morning. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, things that Jesus never said. Jesus never said, do what makes you happy. Now, obviously, everybody wants to be happy, right? Nobody wakes up and says, you know what, I want to be miserable today. That's, that's not something that people wake up. Now, you might wake up miserable sometimes. Maybe you might be the kind of person who wakes up miserable a lot of times. Uh, but when you wake up that way, you don't want to stay that way, right? You want to start to do things that you enjoy, things that make you happy. So maybe you wake up miserable and you, you go get yourself some coffee, get yourself some pancakes, and now you're, you're on your way to feeling pretty good. Um, but obviously we all want to be happy, but nobody wants to be miserable um, because it's much, much better to be happy, right? Um, but let's kind of take a look at this. Let's discover what Jesus did say about happiness, okay? Uh, like I said, we know that he didn't say, do what makes you happy, what, but what did he say about happiness? So for our main passage this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 8, uh, and in that chapter, we're going to read the first 11 verses. We are going to jump to a couple other passages, um, but that's going to be our main passage for this morning. So John chapter 8, and uh, verses 1 through 11, it says there, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had sat her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that, shut, that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. <clears throat> So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto him, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And then which heard, and then which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. All right, so this is a pretty famous passage. It's one that we've probably, a lot of us have read before or heard read before. Um, but as you go through it, you see that Jesus pretty much put in what seems to be a no-win situation, right? <clears throat> Either he condemns the woman and watches her be stoned after that, or he offers her grace and is accused to not follow the law of God. All right, so the Pharisees, the, the teachers here, they thought that they had him back in the corner. They figured, all right, now we have him. There's no way, there's no way he could win in this situation. We finally have kind of tripped him up. So, you know, they're probably patting themselves on the back. They're probably looking around. They have these smug looks on their faces thinking, okay, we finally got him. There's no way he's going to be able to talk his way out of this. Um, but what's kind of funny is, he starts drawing in the, in, in the ground, right? He starts using his finger and, and writing on the ground. It says even in verse 6, as though he had heard them not. So he's acting as if he didn't even hear what they had said, which, 
I mean, I'm sure that got under their skin a little bit, right? Um, but he, they continue on, um, and he, then he finally says, he who is without sin among you, let him cast a stone first. And then he goes back to drawing in the ground. So that, that phrase that he says, that thing that he says of, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Now that word sin that we see here, it's not just the act of sin, the physical act of sin, um, but also sinful um, sinful thoughts that we might have um, or even thinking about sinful actions. Um, and so after he says that, they walk away because they all know that they've sinned one way or another, whether, whether it be a physical sin that other people were able to witness or if it's something that they even, a sin that they committed in their own mind or in private, they all know that they have all sinned one way or another. So they all start to walk away. Now, it's really kind of cool how they put Jesus in what they thought to be a no-win situation. And then Jesus come back, comes back and says the one thing that really kind of shuts their whole argument down, shuts them down, and they have no other option but to just walk away. Um, but as we go through this passage and we see the woman, you know, when they bring her to Jesus, she finds herself, she's barely clothed, shamed in public, uh, hurt um, and embarrassed in her sin. So this is a situation where it's probably the worst or the most embarrassing situation that she could imagine herself being in. But even in that circumstance, we see that Jesus showed her love and he showed her grace. So thinking about that story, think about everything that we've talked about so far. Let's kind of go in and unpack uh, this whole idea of how we can see that Jesus didn't say, do what makes you happy. All right. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is the lie. Okay. The lie. And the lie is sin will make me happy. Okay. <clears throat> now, we all know that there's plenty of things that we can do that we know that are sinful, but that we definitely enjoy. So how is it a lie that sin makes me happy? Well, to break it down even further, sin is fun, but as the Bible tells us, that is only for a season. Okay, so sin is fun for a season. However, in understanding that, the first thing that we know is that we know that sin promises satisfaction. So there is satisfaction. There is uh, happiness, if you want to say it that way, that comes from sin. But that happiness, that satisfaction only comes at the cost of disobedience to God, right? Because we know that's really what sin is. If we were to give a, a basic definition of sin, it's going against God's will, disobedience to God. So yes, sin promises satisfaction, but it's only at a cost of disobeying God and uh, his word. The second thing, sin eventually causes pain to those who do surrender to it. So I'm sure a lot of us can kind of think back to uh, different times in our lives when we were tempted to do something that we know that we shouldn't do. Uh, maybe we wrestled with that temptation for a little bit and eventually we gave into that temptation. We fell into that sin. And as we were committing that sin, or even a little bit after we committed that sin, we had what we thought was happiness. We were enjoying ourselves. Uh, there was that satisfaction that we mentioned. But eventually, if you kind of look back to those situations, you can see how, yeah, I ended up being hurt by, by making that poor decision. Um, now, this woman in this passage, we don't know how she ended up in this situation, but uh, we know that we can all be broken by sin because we live in a world of relative truth, okay? And that, that idea of relative truth, that's where we're going to kind of make that connection of our happiness, okay? So that idea of relative truth. Now, basically, if, if you don't 
know what I mean by that of relative truth. Basically, that means that what's true to me might not be true to you. Something that I, that you believe that is uh, is true, I could say, well, it's fine for you to believe that, but it's not true for me. Um, but without a belief in absolute truth, meaning that this is true, it's always been true, it always will be true, it's true, it's a fact, right? Without belief in absolute truth, truth is defined by whatever makes me happy, right? That a whole idea of, well, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. Why would I say it's not true for me? Because I don't really like what that means. I don't, it, it doesn't make me happy to accept that as, a, that as a truth. Now, this idea of relative truth, when you think about it, it contradicts the actual definition of truth. Um, and I, I wrote down uh, one of the definitions of truth, which, I mean, we don't really need to hear it, but just to kind of put it in context of what we're talking about. Truth is that which is true or in accordance with the fact or reality. Now, kind of overlooking the whole with that which is true, we get that, right? And it might be kind of confusing because we've all kind of heard that you can't use a word to define itself, but I guess they, you know, they got their way out of that because it's not the exact same word. It's truth and true. But truth is that which is true or in accordance with fact or reality. And those last two words, especially fact, is really where I want to kind of draw attention to. Um, a fact can't be relative, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't be a fact. You could say two plus two is four. That's a fact. If I were to say, well, I don't believe that's true. It's not true to me. That can be true to you. I can say that, but that doesn't change the fact that two plus two is still four, right? And you can think of whatever other different example that you have for for what could be a fact and whatever fact you bring up, if it is indeed a fact and not an opinion, then there's no way that it can be relative. If it's relative, then it's no longer a fact. If it's relative, it's up for debate, but a fact is not up for a debate. It's a fact, okay? So going on with this idea of Truth is defined by whatever makes me happy if we don't believe in absolute truth. First of all, truth becomes fluid and subjective when you start thinking of it that way. Truth becomes fluid and subjective, which creates the idea of what's wrong for you may not be wrong for me, right? If it makes you happy, if it makes me happy, it can't be that bad. If it makes me happy, why would it be bad? Um, but really when the bottom line is my happiness, happiness now becomes the standard by which I judge my actions, right? I'm no longer judging my actions by what God has put forth for us, right? I'm only judging my actions of, say, at the end of the day, I sit down and think back, okay, did I do anything wrong today? And I think back, uh, you know, all the different things that I did throughout the day, be like, well, you know, every decision that I made, whether it was a big or small decision, they all made me happy. So it, I couldn't have done anything wrong if I ended up happy with all my decisions. So, um, that we can obviously understand how that can be a really slippery slope. And, you know, you might think, well, how can it be a sin if it makes me happy? Um, and when we start to have that mindset or when you see other people having that mindset, what we're doing at that point is we're now setting the standard of what sin is, as opposed to going and looking and see what God's standard of what, what constitutes a sin. Okay. Um, now us, all of us as Christ followers, we have a standard of living that is not subjective to my feelings or my happiness, right? I know that as a follower of Christ, I, I claim to be a Christian. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. The things that I do, my way of living, it's not up to my feeling or my feelings or my happiness, right? That's not how I should make my decisions in life. Um, really, it should be objective to what God says in his word. 
It should be objective to what God has told us of how we should live, how he wants us to live. And really, there is no wiggle room. There's no gray area. There, you can't be like, well, you know, it's not that bad what I'm doing. Um, you can't say, well, it's not technically a sin. No, now you're getting into that whole relative area, right? A sin is a sin. It's a fact that sin is against what God has for us. So now when we think of that about, well, my way of living, if I'm living according to what God wants me to do, you know, that sounds like really I have no control. Uh, it doesn't sound really all that fun to me, right? Um, so we talked about the lie. We talked about how, you know, the lie of if it makes me happy, it can't be that bad, right? But the truth is obedience to God brings joy, okay? Now you might say, well, you're splitting hairs when you're saying joy versus happiness, right? But as we go along, you're going to see a little bit more context as to what I mean by joy versus happiness, okay? Now the word joy that I have written down here, I have it in all caps because I have it kind of, it's different than what we think of as happiness uh, or what the world might describe as happiness. So the truth is obedience to God brings joy. So kind of breaking that down, first of all, we must live in obedience to God and his word, all right? First Peter chapter, 5, or chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Uh, I'm going to turn there real quick. Uh, if you want to turn, uh, you can go ahead and turn there. If not, you can just listen to me read it. But first Peter chapter 1 uh, and verses 15 and 16 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation." Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. All right. Now, the command that's given there, be holy because I'm holy, that's pretty straightforward, right? But then you read that and you, you understand what it's saying. Well, how in the world can I be holy? Yeah, I understand that God is holy. And so he's saying, because he's holy, I should live holy. Well, he's God and I'm a person, right? How am I going to live holy? How am I ever going to live up to that, that perfect standard that God has for us? Well, it's important to note that this is only possible in Christ, right? We can't live holy lives apart from uh, having the Holy Spirit of God working in us to produce perfect holy fruit, okay? Um, now, is it possible for me to do something nice for somebody or to do a good act if I'm not saved? Yes, we can do that. But to live a holy life, a holy, blameless, you know, sinful life, that's only possible through uh, the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit by having um, God working and living through us, okay? Um, but in that, that idea of obedience to God in his word, living in obedience to God in his word, first of all, we need to understand that holiness isn't mutually exclusive of happiness, okay? Uh, a lot of times people might say, well, how can you be a Christian? How can you be a follower of God? How can you follow what the Bible says of how you should live? You know, that doesn't sound very fun. How do you have fun by doing that? Um, and that's something that, you know, a lot of us, especially if you've grown up in the church, maybe you've heard, whether it be, you know, at church camp or whatever it might be, maybe you see it on some kind of bumper sticker or whatever, uh, how you can still be a Christian and have fun. That's true. But uh, I feel a lot of times we can kind of turn that into something that's really, really cheesy. But the the principle of it, the, the basic point of that is to understand that holiness isn't mutually exclusive of happiness, right? Jesus, he is God, right? Jesus is holy. 
when he was living on the earth, he was holy. We don't see, as we read through the Gospels, we don't see how Jesus was always depressed because he's like, well, I got to live how my father wants me to live. I got to live perfect. I can't sin. He's not miserable. Is he? We don't see it as we read through the Gospel that he's miserable just because he's living sinless. No. Um, but that's kind of the misconception that uh, maybe we hear, maybe we've even come to think ourselves. But um, we think that we have to choose happiness or holiness. We think that it's only one or the other. We can't have both. But the truth is, we were created for the things of God, right? You go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. They were created to have a relationship with God um, and living in submission to him. And we're the same way. We are we were created for the things of God and living in submission to him and his will for us. Um, and his will and living in submission to his will will bring joy, true joy, um, and not just the, the world's idea of happiness. All right. So chasing after the things of this world will eventually leave us empty. Right. We, we already talked about how, yes, yeah, sin can be can be um, satisfying. We can get pleasure from sin, but it, it only lasts for a certain amount of time and eventually we'll end up feeling empty. Um, but we don't feel that way if we're following after God, chasing after him. Uh, that's going to bring real joy. And so we're going to, now is when we're going to differentiate what that really means. Well, what's the difference between joy or happiness as what the world would kind of define as happiness? Well, first of all, holiness is the path, pathway to true happiness and joy, right? It's important to remember that. It's important to remember that the only way to have true happiness or true joy, uh, you know, a few weeks ago when I had the opportunity to uh, be able to share a message with you on a Sunday morning, um, we talked, or actually I think it was a Sunday night, we talked about true wisdom and uh, what true wisdom really is, where true wisdom comes from, well, it comes from above. And so in that same kind of mindset, we're talking about true happiness and true joy. Um, now, the difference between this joy that I've been talking about and just worldly happiness is that the worldly hap happiness is temporary, it's fading, it's not going to last. Like we just said, it's going to leave us feeling empty. But that true joy, that true happiness that comes from following after God, living for him, making the decisions that he would want us to make, that's where true joy comes from. And that's a lasting joy. It's a forever kind of joy. Um, I want to make a real quick note of uh, Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 in the NASB. It says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. So if the path of life that we're following is in line with God, what he wants for us, and we're in his presence, it says right there in that passage that his presence is full of joy. If we're in his presence, we are full of that joy, right? We will have pleasures forever, as that passage says. So last thing, those, that joy, it, it never fades away. You never have that empty feeling that you get from the pleasure or the satisfaction that comes from sin, right? So secondly, every temptation invites us to do a couple of things. Okay, so we're going to kind of talk about as we're being tempted, this this is what these temptations kind of invite us to do. All right, so the first one being uh, every temptation invites us to depend on Christ. Okay, so for that, I want to reference real quick 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Um, and before I read that, uh, it's really cool how, it's really cool to see how God works 
um, in, in many different ways and see how he's in control of everything because this passage actually came up in this last Wednesday's uh, lesson for the youth group. Um, and I've been able to record the lessons for the youth group on, uh, for Wednesday nights and releasing them Wednesday nights for them so that we can continue through our, our Word of Life curriculum. Uh, but we talked a little bit about temptation. We talked about Joseph in the Old Testament and how he dealt with temptation. And this was one of the passages that came up. And it's just really cool to kind of see how in both that lesson and in this uh, this message within the, the series that Pastor John's been doing, um, that this this passage comes up. And it's just really cool to see how God's in control of things. And, you know, especially as we're going through times that we're going through right now, it's always great to have a reminder, even if it's a little reminder like this, of knowing that God is in control. Um, but getting back to uh, the message here, um, every temptation invites us to depend on Christ. So for that, we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. It says there, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be attempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. All right, so now, before we really break that down, this is kind of a passage that a lot of people turn to and say, well, God's never going to give me anything more than I can handle. Um, and in a way, that's kind of what the passage is saying, but people kind of twist that to saying, well, anything, any temptation that comes, at my, comes my way, I can deal with it. And at first, you know, first when you hear that, it might not sound bad, but when you think about it, we're taking God out of the equation. Well, anything that I deal with, I can handle on my own, right? No, we, we should be turning to God with everything. We should lean on him every step of the way throughout every day of our life. Um, and we can see that if we break that, this verse down a little bit. And there's a couple key phrases in here that point to the fact that God is part of this equation. He's part of being able to deal with any temptation. Um, and those couple phrases, the first one is God is faithful. All right. So it's, it, it's not taking God out of the equation. He's still there. Um, but secondly, the second phrase I want to point to is where it says make a way to escape. God gives you that way to escape. Right. How are we going to find that way to, of escaping if we're not looking to God to show us that way of escape? So every temptation invites us to depend on Christ. We should when we're tempted, we should want to turn to, to God immediately, turn to him for guidance, for uh, for encouragement, for help with dealing with that temptation. Um, it's important to note that we realize only he can give us the ability to endure the temptation and not surrender to it. As we read through that verse, it's evident that he's the only one that can give us the ability to endure that temptation. Uh, in Jesus, in, in John chapter 8, when we were first reading, he told the woman there to go and sin no more. All right. He said, I'm not going to condemn you, but he also didn't condone what she did. He didn't say, all right, you're fine. Don't worry about it. You're, you're cool to do whatever. No, he says, go and sin no more. He wouldn't tell her to do something that she wouldn't be able to do without him giving her the guidance. He told her, go and sin no more. Okay. So that's important to note that we can depend on Christ as we're dealing with these temptations. So that's the first thing that temptation should invite us to do, to depend on Christ. But secondly, every temptation should invite us to defend against future temptations. All right. So how, how does that work? How do we defend against future temptations? Um, so for that, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read a verse there. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. It says in Galatians 5, 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
Okay. Now this this also helps helps us going back to First Peter chapter one when it says, "Be ye holy, for I am holy." How are we able to do that? How in the world are we going to do that? Well, walk in the Spirit, as it says here in Galatians five. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay. Temptations in this life, as followers of Christ, they're never going to stop attacking us. Just because we've put our faith and trust in, in God for our salvation, just because we've done that, doesn't mean we're no longer going to be tempted. Right? It kind of goes back to the idea of what Pastor John was talking about, how we're never going to have bad days just because we're a follower of Christ. In fact, it's the opposite, right? Jesus told his disciples, because you follow me, you will be persecuted. Okay, so just because we follow after Christ, just because we've accepted salvation and put our faith in him, it doesn't mean we're going to stop being tempted. Um, no matter how strong or mature we grow in the Lord, this world, others, our flesh, Satan, none of that is going to stop or quit attempting to pull us away from Christ. All right, there's always going to be something that's kind of going to try and step in our way and tempt us to fall into sin and turn away from what God would want us to do. All right, but while keeping that in mind, every temptation we face and surrender to the Lord, so we're faced with a temptation and rather than giving into it or struggling with it, we give it to God immediately. Finding victory through the finished work of the cross, understanding that as we, we give that temptation to him, we're remembering what he did on the cross for us, right? He's already forgiven us of every sin that we've already committed, every sin we're going to commit. Um, and understanding in the finished work of the cross, what he did on the cross allows us to give him those temptations instead of giving into them. We surrender those to the Lord, we grow stronger, all right? We grow in our resilience, again, only in Christ and through Christ, but we grow in our resilience to stand against future temptations. Like I said at the beginning, we can all go back and think of times when we gave into temptation and when we committed that sin, yeah, it was fun, we had a good time, it was pleasurable, we had satisfaction from it, but it was only a temporary kind of satisfaction or happiness or whatever you want to call it. And we realized, you know, that was something that I shouldn't have done. I knew I shouldn't have done it at the time. And especially after the happiness faded away, I really knew that I shouldn't have done it. In that same way that we can go back and remember those different things that we went through, as we give our temptations to God, as we give them to him and surrender them to him, that's going to help us against future temptations. Because if I'm tempted to do something that I shouldn't do today and I surrender that to God, I give that to him to help me to deliver me through that. Next week, when I am tempted with something else, I can think back to what happened today and be like, God helped me through that. He delivered me. He helped me with deal with that temptation. He made a way of escape. And that should help me with whatever temptation I'm dealing with next week. So as followers of Christ, these temptations are never going to go away. But as we continue to give them to the Lord, it's going to help us. It's going to kind of build up that memory of all these times that he's delivered us before. And that's going to help us as we go forward in dealing with other temptations. So what does this all mean? How do we make a connection for us? What's our conclusion that we draw from the story that we see here in John chapter 8 and from all these points that we've kind of drawn from it? Well, are there any areas of your life, are there any areas of my life where we've been looking for happiness in all the wrong places, right? Um, maybe especially now as we're not able to go do as many things as we'd like to do, we're kind of stuck at home a lot and maybe we're trying to find ways to stay happy, but maybe we're starting to slip into um, old bad habits. We're starting to slip into you know new temptations and we're starting to give into those just because maybe our routine's a little different. Uh, we're kind of losing patience. Um, 
Are there any areas in your life where you've been looking for happiness in the wrong place? So that's the first thing that we should kind of take from this and look at and examine our own lives. Um, and think about the temptations that you face. How can you use those temptations as an invitation to depend on God more, all right? Now, we're all gonna be tempted in different ways, right? Something that might tempt you, I might not have any problem, you know, avoiding that temptation or not giving in to that temptation. You know, the example that I give to the teens a lot is, um, you know, maybe if we're sitting in church and, you know, maybe one of us wants to eat some candy. I'm not saying it's bad to eat candy while Pastor John's preaching, but, you know, we always have the wrappers, right, that make a lot of noise. And maybe we distract people. Also, not condemning anybody who opens wrappers during church. Um, but, you know, say you're sitting next to me and you go to offer me some black licorice can't stand black licorice. I hate it. That's not going to tempt me in the slightest. It's an, it's an easy no. It's an easy way for me to just say, nope, not going to do that. Not going to distract, distract me or others with that. Now, if you were to offer me maybe a Reese's peanut butter cup or uh, some Sour Patch Kids, now we're starting to think, okay, I, I might take that. I might try to open that. It might cause a distraction for you, for me, for everybody around us. Um, you know, that's the, ex the example that I use. Things that tempt you might not tempt me. Things that are tempting to me, you might think of, there's nothing of that sounds desirable to me. So it might be not even a temptation for you. But think about the temptations that you face, right? We all have different interests and I think kind of from our interests, things that we like, that's kind of where our temptations come from or uh, where they kind of arise from because we're not gonna be tempted to do things that we don't really like at all, right? Um, but how can you use those temptations as an invitation to depend on God more. Now, ideally a temptation should really be a trigger for us to turn to God, right? Ideally, we should be to a place where the second we're tempted to do something, it's almost like, this is a temptation, I'm gonna turn to God, I'm gonna lean on him and give this to him, surrender this to him. That's where we should want to end up, right? Now, there's a good chance that we're not there. There's a good chance that even if we've gotten there before, we still mess up sometimes. Um, but let's realize that we can find the greatest joy, the true, lasting, eternal joy, and our fullest desires are met through Christ, all right? We might be able to find temporary happiness, but it's going to fade, right? We might find some satisfaction right here and now in the moment if we give in to that temptation, but it's not going to last, right? Abide in Him, okay? Remember, in Galatians chapter 5, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, okay? Abide in Him and His Word so that your joy might be full, okay? Our joy might be full. Remember, we're here for His glory, right? We're here to glorify Him in everything that we say and do, in all of our actions, all of our words. And remember that when God is glorified, we are most satisfied. That true satisfaction, not the worldly satisfaction, that true satisfaction comes when we glorify God through our actions and through our words, living for him. And also remembering we don't have to choose holiness or happiness. They're not mutually exclusive. We can live a holy life and have true happiness that's going to last if we submit ourselves to God every step of the way, whenever we're faced with a temptation. Instead of giving into that temptation, submit to God, give it to him, and understand that Yes, Jesus never said, do what makes you happy, but we can be happy and have true happiness just by following it after him and living for him each and every day. So I hope this has been an encouragement to you. I hope you can take this uh, and apply it to yourselves, to your life. 
Um, maybe you can share it with somebody that you know who is struggling um, and just kind of point them uh, to some of these passages and be able to share this with them and encourage them. Uh, but again, I hope this has been a, an encouragement to you. It's been an encouragement to me. Uh, I, I love being able to share with everybody. Um, I would much prefer to be able to share with everybody here at the church on Sunday mornings, uh, but that's not where we are right now. So it, it's still cool, still awesome to be able to share with you this way. So um, I'm going to go ahead and pray uh, to close us out and uh, we'll finish up there. Dear God, I thank you for this morning again. I thank you for um, the message that, we, that you've given us today. And I just pray that as we go forward through today, through the rest of our week, and beyond that, that if we're faced with temptation, God, that we immediately surrender that to you. That we don't fall into the lie of we can't do what makes us happy because that means we can't live holy, right? Or I pray that we don't fall into the lie that happiness is exclusive from holiness. I pray that we understand that you didn't just say we can do whatever makes us happy, that if it makes us happy, it's not wrong. I pray that we remember what you've said, the commandments that you've given us, that we would live uh, how you would want us to live, that we would read the Gospels and read how Jesus lived while he was here on the earth, model our daily lives after him, that we can understand that through the Holy Spirit, we can be holy because he is holy. And God, I just pray that as we go throughout um, the coming days, as we're faced with the temptations, that we would remember the truth that if we live for you and we, we live the way that you want us to live, we seek after your will each and every day, God, that that's where we're going to have that true happiness, that true joy that comes from you, that lasting happiness, that it's never going to fade away. So I pray that you would just allow us to remember that, allow us to use that to encourage others. And again, just thank you for everything that you do for us each and every day. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I hope this was an encouragement to you. Use this to help encourage other people and uh, hope to see everybody again soon.